welcome to First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me or the guest or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, and we're going to talk about it. Um, This one, surprise, surprise, is a movie, but this is the first time for me. And I'm going to pull back the curtain on this episode a little bit, and this will probably be the case for another couple episodes. Uh, I basically have started creating this master list on Letterboxd of uh, classic movies that I have not seen. And I've sort of been avoiding that for a long time. And when I started this podcast, I'm like, I just need to get this over with. I need to get over that fear of letting people know that I have not seen um, some of these classic films. I've seen a lot of garbage films. And uh, I just need a, and, and this podcast is a great way to get me to watch those because now um i'm putting it out there and i i put this list out into our prescribed films podcast network facebook group and asked some of the hosts um, if there were films on that list that they felt particularly fond of or thought that i should see first and uh, my guest tonight larry of uh his podcast he's like you know, you dude, you got to watch Mean Streets. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This is like the one that popped up for you. Like, uh, you have a podcast on the network, My Bleeding Ears, with your wife. And I'm a big fan. I've been listening to it since it dropped. And um, we've met a few times at Halloween of Palooza. Uh, we have very similar tastes. Like, I just listened to your episode on Psycho Goreman today, and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Uh, I, I love that movie too. So, uh, it, that, that, that's the movie that I wish I had when I was nine years old. Yeah, I mean it's it's essentially uh, Power Rangers with gore, and <laughs> I, like Power Rangers were a little um, like I was a little too old when that came out, and I had some friends who were really into it. Um, but this is like I, I absolutely I mean I know we're not here to talk Psycho Gore Man, and uh, <laughs> but I don't have any rules on my show, you know and. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you want to hear what Larry thinks of it, make sure to go listen to My Bleeding Ears. Like I said, it's on, on the PFPN. And uh, why don't you talk a, a little bit about your show first, let people know, um, and we'll come back to plugs at the end, but uh, let people know what your show is right here at the beginning. So, you know, get them over there and, and intrigued. Yes, uh, it's My Bleeding Ears podcast, and it's, it's pretty much like yours in a way. Uh, I wanted to review movies that weren't necessarily horror. Uh, they were all sorts of genres, but I, I love horror, but I there's so much more to branch out to. So I was like, hey, I want to start my own podcast and I want to start watching some of these cult movies that have passed me by also. So I kind of integrate those movies into new movies that I've watched or, or movies that I loved when I was a kid and I'll rewatch them and if they hold up or not. And uh, my wife, Jessalyn, um, joined me on the podcast in like episode seven, I think, uh, and has pretty much stuck on since then. And she's been great because now I have this female voice, which counteracts my, my voice in a way to where we just have different opinions on things. And it's a little more insightful to both of us to, to see that, you know, what direction our minds are, we're coming from when we're talking about these movies so we just work really well off of each other, and it's and it really helps us too in our relationship to where we have this thing to where we're just able to talk about movies and present and just have a show for other people to listen to also. 
so yeah, every week we have a movie of the week that we present in the second half of the episode. And in the beginning, we just talk about movies that we've seen lately or maybe uh, something that's happened in the news with film in some way. Like uh, the last episode we just put out yesterday, we are, our movie of the week was Top Secret. And I talked about the Golden Globes a little bit and how uh, frustrating it is when a movie, which isn't even a movie, was nominated for Best Movie, which was Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton was a play, and it was filmed like a play. So therefore, it's a play. And I, I just kind of get mad and about that whole thing. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much the show. What What did Hamilton get nominated for, I assume? Like, Best Musical or? Yeah, Best uh, Musical Comedy. Yeah, I mean, the Golden Globes are sort of known for um, their... Not not even just their picks, but like the way that the categories they put them in. I think they put The Martian under comedy several years ago. Uh, it's just like what the fuck's going on over there. And and from what I understand, they pretty much like for the Golden Globes and and just like most award, uh, you know, award shows, a lot of it is politics and and who has money to to buy their way into it. But it's like. Yeah, you're not doubting that Hamilton's great, but it's not a film. It it was it, if COVID hadn't happened, it probably would never have been filmed for a you know Disney Plus or whatever. Like it's just because Broadway is closed. So that's sort of like I understand what you're saying is, yeah. it's it's technically yeah not a film and and they've done that before too, where they take mini series and they nominate them for films too. I think they did that with like the OJ uh, mini series and right yeah that's right yeah i don't know what what's going on over there it's like there's there's no rules i don't know yeah and and invisible man wasn't on there so that i was like come on that was probably the best movie generally um my favorite movie last year was the vast of night but all around it was probably invisible man yeah i mean great lead performance uh great score like there's so much that it could have gone gotten nominated for and but it's no surprise it's even you know, it, it's funny because if it would have been nominated, they would be like, it's not a horror movie, it's a drama movie. But um, now we're saying it's not nominated because it's a horror movie, you know? You're right, yeah. <laughs> but I, I love that one, too. It was on my top yes. ten. Uh, I mean, it, I hear so many people right now talking about, like, what are they even going to give awards to? Movies, like, last year sucked. And uh, I'm like, if you thought last year sucked for movies, you just haven't seen, seen enough because there was some really great stuff that's out. There's tons of great stuff out that you just have to kind of search for it a little bit more this year. But there, there was, a, there was a, quite a few things that I enjoyed, uh, like uh, La Llorona. That's nominated for a Golden Globe, actually. Yeah, I saw that. It's awesome. Like, for best foreign language film? Yes, yeah. Good for, good for them. They, I actually just watched it uh, about a week ago, and I thought it was great. I still haven't seen it. I know it's on uh, Shutter. It's one of their exclusives, and it's got it got a lot of hype last year. And for some reason, um, I I don't mind subtitles. I, I have to make sure that I'm in like a actual sit down yes. and focus on it type of thing. And and that's what, another thing that's great about um, this podcast is like. If I know I'm going to be recording a show about the movie, I'm putting the phone, I'm turning the phone off, I'm sitting down, and I'm like making sure I pay attention because uh, you don't want to be the asshole that comes to the show and is like, I wasn't really, I don't really know what uh, it happened <laughs> in this or whatever. Um, but you know, it's it, it's it's a good way, like I said, to get some of these classics knocked off the list. Um, 
And the one thing that everybody has said when I send them this list, I mean, literally everybody who has seen this uh, letterbox list is pointing out, and I think it's because I went through his IMDb and I went through all the films I haven't seen of his, so they're all next to each other, so it looks like worse than it is, but everybody's like, do you just fucking hate Martin Scorsese? And I'm like, (laughs) no, I actually love what I've seen. I just haven't seen a lot of his early stuff. The earliest film of his I had seen was Taxi Driver, and I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and of course I love his uh, everything from Goodfellas on, but uh, the really early stuff, like the movie we're talking about tonight, I somehow had missed, and um, I eventually wanted to watch it, and now that I have this podcast, I'm like, well, I gotta just, you know, I can't, it's almost almost like i can't enjoy these things without making content i'm like well i gotta talk about it with somebody and and i'm in the same boat as you with jesslyn like you know i've i've had nikki on uh quite a bit because there's some classics she hasn't seen and there's classics that neither of us seen and i mean who better to talk about them with the person that you spend the most time with like that's who your most natural um you know communicating with you're especially right now it's like one of the few people that you see on a regular basis and you're you know you can hang out with it's like it's it's perfect uh you know and i've heard a lot of feedback people say they they like when we're on together because we have natural chemistry and i'm like i hope so we've been married for years and years but uh <laughs> but, but yeah that, that's 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 really cool and, and i and I actually have listened to a few of your episodes, uh, the Death the Death Wish episodes uh, three and four, because I love Death Wish three. That's like that's my one of my favorite action movies. And to hear like um, like a, a different person's perspective on it is it's especially someone you live with. It reveals a little bit more about them, just a little bit each time, and you just kind of grow more with it. And the audience can hear that too. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this whole show started because I was like, you know, it's always been a favorite thing of mine to show, like, if I find a movie, to show it to someone who I think will really enjoy it and, yes. um, and be like, here's this thing I think you will enjoy, and then hearing their feedback, and when it works, it's like, and it's the same way with music or anything else, too, and, you know, that's why I sort of keep it open, but I also wanted to have it go the other way, and uh, it was just... Like right away when you, when you posted and you said uh, the the tonight's movie, which I, I'll just go ahead and we're gonna talk tonight. I already mentioned it, but we're, tonight we're gonna talk about the Martin Scorsese film Mean Streets. Mean Streets is about you gotta be like me, Tony. I just be sure and tell him to be here tonight, all right? Michael, Giovanni. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Johnny. Yo, Tony, you gotta worry about talking about one thing and then zap. And about Charlie. How about Charlie, who played and he laughed? Turn on the radio, John, yeah. We're going to a party. How about some fun? And prayed. I guess you could safely say that things haven't gone so well tonight. But I'm trying, Lord, I'm trying. And fought. But most of all, he cared. He cared for his friends. Oh, have fun with you guys, my friends! In these mean streets. Don't show up tonight, we'll see what happens to you. How much, how much money you got for Michael tonight? 
of Assisi. Hailed by the critics, the New York Times called it beautifully realized. John Wayne. You know, they're in the uh, mountains in Manhattan. Pauline Kael of the New Yorker called it a triumph of personal filmmaking. Newsday said exquisite, savage, and compassionate. Who's going to help him if I don't? It's supposed to matter. Nobody, nobody, nobody tries anymore. Tries what? She tries to... Uh, to help us all, help people. You help yourself first. You show up, Teresa. That's where you're all wrong. Francis and Mestizzi had it all down. He knew. What are you talking about? He knew. What are you talking about? St. Francis didn't run numbers. Newsweek said, Mean Streets triumphantly heralds the arrival of Martin Scorsese. So you had said, you know, you have to see this one. Um, what made you choose this one? Why Why on um, all of the Scorsese films, all of the classics I have on the list, what about Mean Streets um, made you jump on it? Uh, mostly because, uh, well, I'll, I'll actually start off by saying that I think Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas is, I think, everyone's starting point for Martin Scorsese films. And that, that was mine. And I just, I kind of found it, uh, pretty interesting that you haven't watched that one because that's kind of a starting off point in a way. Uh, I I know that the who's the, who's that knocking on my door was his first film and uh, was a big boxcar Bertha or something like that was his second one. Yep. Uh, but this is the one that he kind of really establishes a style. So I was kind of surprised that you didn't haven't seen this one yet. Um, so that's why I was I, I, I commented like oh dude I would love to talk about this film um, I oh, I saw it for the first time um, probably about a year after I saw Goodfellas because I was like okay I want to see what this other guy's films are like so I, I love this film and I'm like I think it was like yeah like 92 93 so I'm like 13 years old and I'm really getting you know uh, these these films and one thing I did have uh, this is before the internet was like a Leonard Maltin uh, movie encyclopedia book, 1992 or something like that. And what I would do as a kid was I would just read through it and I would say, uh, and if I saw Goodfellas, I'd look it up and be like, oh, who's that director, Martin Scorsese? Let me see what else he's done. And so I would just scan through this book for hours and hours. I think one time I had in-school suspension in like ninth grade or eighth grade and the whole time I was in there, I just read the book and wrote down all the movies I wanted to watch. <laughs> so after seeing Goodfellas, um, I went back and saw Mean Streets, kind of thinking maybe that Mean Streets would be just like Goodfellas in a way, a gangster film, but it really isn't. And um, 
after that first viewing, I was somewhat let down and didn't really think about it for a while until probably about 10 years later when I watched it again and I enjoyed it a little more this time around. I was a little more into film at that time. And then my, my third viewing was the one uh, I just I watched about four days ago. And uh, that was probably my favorite viewing of it. And I, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about that right now or, or whenever. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to watch for the first time because I had no preconceived notions going in. I mean, I... It's interesting to think about, like how we consume these things, because, like you said, um, we didn't we're, we're we didn't consume these in chronological order. I'm I'm curious, like, to hear. It would be interesting to hear what people would think if they've never had seen any of his films and sort of watched maybe this one first or even his first two films. But like, we're we're going backwards, so it's it's like we've seen um, him at his best, and then go back to see where he's sort of. Um, coming up and learning himself on camera and you know it makes us and like you said you compared it to goodfellas you were expecting more of that and once you got that expectation out of the way on your first viewing it's like okay i can appreciate the good things about it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um so um what held you back from just watching this one I don't know. Maybe, like I said, I just sort of went through his IMDb when I was creating that list, and it never really was on my radar, to be honest. Uh, Taxi Driver was about as is the earliest film I've seen, because I think that was 76 and this was 73. And I don't know why, because like I said, Taxi Driver is one of my favorites, uh, Goodfellas is one of my favorites, and I don't know... Maybe it's just sort of like, I have those. What else, you know? You would think I would because there's other directors like Carpenter. When I saw Halloween, I wanted to see everything and I sought out everything. But uh, I really didn't even, up until I you asked to uh, do this movie, I hadn't even read the story. I knew literally nothing about it. I didn't know who was in it. I, all I knew was that Scorsese was the director. So... I went in this completely blind. I had never heard people talk about it. I knew it was a classic just because I recognized that really sort of minimalistic poster art and the title uh, on, you know, his IMDb. But uh, outside of that, I knew nothing. Wow, that's that's awesome. I'm so happy you saw it without reading about it or knowing who's even in it. And once you see who's in it, you're like, you get really excited like I did when I first saw it. Because I'm not even talking about Robert De Niro in this movie. Harvey Keitel's another one of my favorite actors uh, i remember seeing reservoir dogs before i saw uh, this movie and um and uh, uh pulp fiction and everything and then i was like oh, i love this guy and then i go back and to see mean streets and there he is like uh, 20 years younger and it's it's great to see him be like a 20 year old actor being so young and then he's still pretty built in this movie too before uh, he got really big for like bad lieutenant. Yeah, it's it's sort of cool because this is like I mean, seeing it the way we saw it, like I've I'm going in with the preconceived notions of what he's done in his later career, but I I knew that this was going to be more um, lo-fi, low budget, rough around the edges. Um, but it's almost like watching someone practice, like 
<laughs> yeah. it, it's like a prototype almost of um, what's to come. Like you see so many little things and throughout this movie that he uses later that he perfects. It's like he's trying out little things and some work, some don't, but it's like even things that didn't work, he, he sort of polishes later in his career. And it's like each film, he gets a little better and a little better. And, you know, a lot of people consider like Goodfellas the epitome. Like to me, I've always been a Goodfellas person over The Godfather. I Goodfellas is like is perfection to me. It's it's a just a perfect film. And you know you really have to attribute that to his editor too. She's been with him for forty years probably now. Uh, I can't tell you her name, but she's pretty much done all of his movies. And the editing in Goodfellas is probably the best I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, and it also, I mean, he's one of those guys, there's like a handful of directors that reuse their uh, cast and crew throughout their career, and it's like, I always admired that, I always thought, when, when I got into film, I thought that was so cool, when you would watch a movie, and, you know, the next movie, it's like, oh, there's that same, he's, he's using the same cast and crew, and, uh, you know, Tarantino's done it, um, <laughs> It's like John Carpenter's done it. All the the cool big names, um, and then some of the guys like Rob Zombie's even done it uh, to different degrees. But it's like he sort of started that. I feel like he was one of the first that sort of locked in. And I think there's even I remember uh, there was like a Blu-ray set, maybe from Criterion or somebody put out like Scorsese short films, and they had uh, De Niro in them. So it's like he was loyal to that dude before anybody. You know, it's like. Yeah cool to see that they both made their name on each other and you know went on to do great things like uh i'm, I'm just trying to think i was trying to sarcastically think of a really bad movie de niro's been in recently because he's done some stinkers but uh war well, with, war with grandpa or something but that's uh, what I was gonna say. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh he he can you know what he at this stage in his life he can do war on grandpa and get a paycheck and say fuck everyone he, he deserves it yeah, he does. He can just retire and do a Scorsese film every few years and do some crap with Zac Efron, and he'll, yeah, he'll be fine. Oh, yeah. What was that, Dirty Grandpa? Yeah, yeah. It's grandpa movies now. Yeah. But uh, did you notice, actually, um, now we're talking about characters and everything, uh, he even uses the same character names sometimes. If you notice in the pool hall scene, when they first arrive and they go see that one guy, one of the big bouncer kind of guys playing pool his name is tootie oh yeah and if you remember in goodfellas there's that tootie the the, the the obese guy who ran the pizza shop i think his name was tootie also uh, like i never heard that name before but i guess that's a scorsese name yeah i i actually while i was at work today like uh sitting at my desk i threw on someone uploaded his uh commentary track from like the blu-ray or something to uh, YouTube, and so I was like, I'll just play this while I'm working and listen to what he has to say, and it was pretty interesting uh, hearing him sort of, I, I don't know when it was recorded, I wish I did, there wasn't any information on it, on it. so, so yeah. I, it sounded like older Marty, that's for sure, like, uh, <laughs> and, you know, he's he's always been like Tarantino, just like an encyclopedia of film and he's in the way he talks about life in general, like, I could just listen to him talk for hours, so I find this stuff fascinating, but um, this... yeah, have you ever, uh, you ever see that commercial he did for, um, I forgot what it was, but he's like at like, uh, uh, he's getting film developed somewhere and he's like asking the guy, like, what do you think of this picture? Like, how is this? You know, it's 
I watched it right after I watched Mean Streets because um, Scorsese, Scorsese's in Mean Streets as an actor also. So I was like, you know, I'm going to watch him act for a second. And I remember that commercial, and you should check it out. It's hilarious. Oh, it's it, like a film commercial? Yeah, um, it was for like a credit card or something oh, like that. Oh, okay. And, and he was just like asking, he's like, look at this picture. What, what, you, what you can't tell, where's the protagonist? Where's the antagonist? What am I doing? You know, he's just yeah, like yeah. himself while he's developing film. It's been an hour. It's under S. Under S. How could I have done this? I'd let him down. I'd let him down. Doesn't make any sense. Look at it. There's no life to it at all. Oh, my nephew, say cheese. Good direction, Marty. Here, this one, interesting. It's far too nostalgic. What do you think? It's pretty. Composition is forced, lighting is bad, angle is off. Too literal, too violent, too metaphorical, too dark. Here, we have the protagonist, but where's the antagonist? Huh? Where's the drama? Oh. 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 Unavoidable. Got to reshoot. Yeah, Timmy, that's your Uncle Marty. How'd you like to turn five again? That's funny. I Actually, they had uh, a, during Weekend Update on SNL this past Saturday, they had someone there dressed as Scorsese, like, doing a bit. <laughs> Uh, so it's so cool like this was made in 73 and this was sort of considered his like breakthrough movie that where people started considering him a a real director and uh we're here in 2021 and he's a household name like everybody knows who he is and there's not many directors who can say that you know he's a character in his own and he has so many of his own little um Martyisms, I don't know what you'd even call them, <laughs> that are like his and his only, you know, and everybody uh, has tried to copy them over the years and everybody's tried to steal them, but nobody has quite nailed them like him. And, and it's cool to see that he's still going strong in, in 2021. Yeah. Do you, did you watch the Oscars where he won for The Departed? I don't think so. <clears throat> I watched it and it was like the cutest thing because I think he just won Best Director for the departed and then the departed won the next award and you can see him like in the back behind the scenes because he just won and he's like doesn't know if he should go out or not because he just won and it's really like cute because he's all like he's a he's a little guy so it's it's real cute to watch him like a little old dude (laughs) on the stage there not knowing what to do i've uh always loved um joe pesci's speech when he won for goodfellas because he just goes up and everybody gives him a standing o and he goes up and all he says is uh thank you and takes his trophy like because <laughs> he's always been like very humble he's always sort of like said like i don't really belong uh, he's never really had uh the arrogance that he could because he's one of the greatest you know but uh like the chemistry between him de niro marty like all all those three like you know, I, 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 Irishman had so many flaws, and we're not going to talk too much about that movie. But um, it's just like wild to think after all these years, you know, they're still making movies together. They got him out of retirement. Um, it's everybody has their little things, you know what I mean? Yeah, even Harvey Keitel's in it too. Right. And so we'll talk a little bit about this movie because um, we've sort of beat around it, but haven't really talked about what the story is. But it's also sort of interesting because after I watched this, I'm like. 
there's really not a linear like a a very clear story it's basically a group of uh dudes that are sort of in a in a small time compared to goodfellas and stuff small time mafia um Robert De Niro plays Johnny Boy. Harvey Keitel is Charlie, who's pretty much the lead. Um, we have David Provel as Tony. A- Amy Robinson as Teresa. Uh, Richard Romanus as Michael. And Caesar Danovo- Danova as Giovanni. And so uh, Charlie is Harvey Keitel. He's uh, sort of the – in this story, he's he's got some – you can tell right away in the church scene, like, he's he's – wants to be a devout Catholic, but he's also sort of um, struggling with his religion. He's not sure. And uh, he's basically, at this point, it's, it's sort of funny to think about, but he's like the big, almost the big brother to uh, Johnny Boy, always watching over him and, tr- and basically taking his heat the entire fucking movie. It's almost annoying to the point where um, Johnny Boy is just always trying to scheme his way out of... of the money he he owes Tony and all kinds of people all around town. Uh, meanwhile, Charlie's sleeping with Johnny's cousin behind his back, um, who's Teresa. Um, it's it, but there's not really like other than there is a beginning, middle, and end to it. It's just sort of a lot of them just talking and walking around and, and the business of this like small town mafia. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is, and of course, there's tons of meaning behind all of this stuff. We have uh, multiple scenes of Harvey Keitel kind of playing with fire in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the bar that he frequents that David Proval owns, um, where it's red in there all the time. And uh, we know Martin Scorsese's a religious dude, but he's not like a fanatic. Uh, so of course, so that the bar is signifying hell and how he's kind of trapped there and how actually everyone is trapped there because uh, there's a certain part in the movie, I want to say we're about 20 minutes in, where all of our, pretty much our, all of our main characters are hanging out in the bar and um, they want to play music on the jukebox. And David Proval says to them, uh, only oldies, only 50s music. So that kind of signifies that all these guys are trapped in this old school mentality and they're, and we have Charlie trying to fight his way out of it. And he has all these different things holding him back uh, from the old school because uh, at this bar, there's this, uh, the black dancer and mm, yeah. he thinks he's very attractive, but he doesn't want to look bad in front of his boys because he's dating a black girl or going out with a black girl. And uh, so that, that that constantly keeps him down, and everyone around him keeps him down. Uh, even the people you wouldn't suspect him are keeping him down also. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's, it's interesting because on the surface it's very simple, but like you said, there's a lot of um, very subtle meaning behind everything. And uh, when you said, like, he, he's playing with fire, like, quite literally, he's he, yes. he keeps fucking with fire. Like, at the church, he's putting his hand on a candle. Then he's showing off to his friends, like, look, I got this trick. And they're like, you know, how do you do that, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and, of course, we can't talk about any Scorsese film without talking about his use of music. That's another yeah. one of his key things. Um, 
this has like you, you mentioned earlier off off the uh, recording that you had the soundtrack stuck in your head. Yeah, uh, it's amazing to think like this is his first big film, and for how small it is in, in scale, the soundtrack is like this had to be you know just a huge chunk of the budget. I mean, the the clearances and he talks about it in the commentary track about how he actually used his personal records for the film, and it's like. You think about that now, you just get the clearance for it, and they, I'm sure the studio sends you a file to use or something, but it's like he physically used his records, so you hear the pops and the warmth of the songs, and um, it kicks off with like the Super 8 footage that sort of uh, shows a little bit about his uh, Charlie's upbringing and like his family and the family aspect of these guys, uh, and it plays the Ronettes' Be My Baby, which uh, coincidentally was sort of a big breakthrough sound for Phil Spector, who uh, recently passed away. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, and himself is, was a complete fucking lunatic psycho. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, he sort of created the wall of sound, which influenced Brian Wilson, who went on to, to, do the, to create the pet sounds, Beach Boys. I mean, uh, you know, but it's like this song right away is the first thing we hear. And uh, for me, it, like I said, going into this, I knew that that's always been sort of a signature uh, Scorsese thing, but um, I was thinking, I, I wasn't expecting this soundtrack out of such a small scale film. Like, I figured it, he would have to get uh, a few of these bigger films under his belt before he could start using them. I mean, he uses uh, two Rolling Stones songs right yeah. away, too, and it's like they were fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they also play uh, one of my favorite songs of all time that have, that's actually been in quite a few movies that I'm, I'm finding out. It's in um, Christine and the Bad Lieutenant. It's the Johnny A song, Pledging My Love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, if you've ever seen the Bad Lieutenant, that song plays when Harvey Keitel's doing like the naked dance thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, and that's not the reason why I like the song, but I, it's... <laughs> Actually, the tragedy behind the song is is inter- well, behind the artist is interesting too because um, uh, Johnny Ace was going to be like this big star, but he was he was kind of nuts. He would go on and he would his friends would drive around and he'd shoot a gun like outside of the car and hit signs and stuff. And then one time, I, I believe he was going to perform and he was playing with his gun and he pointed it towards his head and people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa! He's like, oh, it's not loaded, and he blew his head off. And then he became really famous after that, and then that's when this song came out. Um, that's, I mean, that's like two wild, tragic stories um, with two songs in this movie. I mean, with yeah. the Phil Spector connection, you know, and he went on to murder an actress, and uh, he was known to, like, wave a gun in the studio to get things like he wanted to. It seems like a lot of these, like, musical geniuses are also complete lunatics and have tragic, you know, mental disabilities and it's like you know not that we're recording about that right now but it's yeah, like right, ho- yeah, holy yeah, shit so. man like yeah. th- th- i'm just now putting that together as we talk about it because i didn't know that story and uh mm-hmm. yeah we get that that jumping jack flash from the rolling stones as johnny boy walks in slow motion sort of as an intro i mean we the intro we get of uh johnny boy is like the explosion and you know the slow motion and uh it's like that's sort of like I assume sort of the introduction of uh, Robert De Niro in film. It's like you know to think about like history. Like this is the first time that he was in you know a feature with him. It's like when I was watching it, I'm like, this is important. You know, <laughs> this is the scene right here. And he right, blows up a mailbox. <laughs> right. It's like okay, you know, and, and it's funny just because like 
I was used to seeing him as, and I guess not so much in Taxi Driver, but it's like you think of him in in the later movies. He's sort of like the almost the older responsible character, and in this one, you would never you wouldn't think of Harvey Keitel as that, but he's the responsible one, and Johnny Boy's the shithead uh, that keeps getting in trouble and. You know, is uh, I don't even know what you call him, squirrely. Like he's just always he's full of energy all the time and always starting shit with people. And he needs Char- to be on medication. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Charlie's constantly trying to get him out of trouble, and it's it's almost frustrating to watch because it's like we've all had that friend um, that it's like you have to have you know to be in a certain mood to hang out with them but it's like <laughs> like charlie just keeps putting his neck out for him and it's like there's a certain point where towards the end where i thought he was finally just gonna let it go and he's still like when he's up on the roof shooting a gun and yeah. he's, he's like you know johnny what are you doing it's me charlie and he goes up there and they they walk down to the cemetery and it's like i thought for sure you know this is it but no he, he has a talk with him and then he's like okay let's go it's like he just cannot give up on him it's like his little brother to him or something right yeah yeah and then uh, of course like the most tragic ending which you know not not really surprising but uh yeah i don't even ending, know if we want to jump there yet but yeah we'll get there because I, I got a lot to say about that ending not anything bad but i think a lot of things that you kind of find out right at that point but yeah yeah sure yeah we'll get there so let's take a quick break and hear from the podcast network, and then we'll jump back in and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the story and get to that ending. Then I have um, some stuff I did, some half-assed research, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. So we'll be right back. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, and we're back. So, uh, before we jump into the ending, there are some sort of key scenes in this movie that I thought uh, were really, really crazy, wild. Like, you mentioned it briefly earlier, but the big sort of pool hall brawl is uh, one that's (laughs) central to this movie. They go in, and it seems like they're friendly with each other, and everything's going smooth. They do a little... um, negotiating with the owner of that bar it's like a it's 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 like a basement bar it's like this little tiny it's not really tiny it's just a pool hall in the basement grimy new york pool hall and uh of course charlie's got to start some shit uh or not charlie johnny boy's got to start some shit in this one and uh it they burst out into this big brawl that uh you know eventually the cops show up and uh yeah i thought that was pretty fun Dude, yeah, that that's uh, the first time I ever heard. Oh, here's my first time uh, for hearing the the phrase "mook." Yeah, I don't know how that guy doesn't deal with mooks, <laughs> and then they get in the whole thing like, "What's a mook?" And like, no one knows what a mook is, and they're like, they're like really kind of puzzled. Like, is it an insult or uh, like? And then that's when the big brawl w- breaks out, and yeah. And what's great about the brawl is that um, how it's they're not fighters. None of them are. Right. They just, they're just throwing haymakers, kicking in the air, you know, 
barely anyone's getting hit except Charlie. Of course, Charlie gets hit right away, and he, he's talking about his bad hand, which is prevalent uh, for a few more scenes in the movie where he's talking about he, how he has a bad hand, and he doesn't really fight. And then, yeah, the cops come in, and uh, the guy who owns the pool hall, he has to end up paying those guys off. And then they sit back, and they're about to have a drink, and then they make the deal, and then they get into a fight again. It's, yeah. it's a hilarious scene, man. Yeah, it's up, down, up, down. Because, like I said, they go in, and they're friendly with each other. And then, yeah, when he calls them mooks, I was like, you know, uh, they're gonna, they're not going to be cool with this. Like, you, you can't just get away <laughs> with it. And I was like, waiting for it because, like you said, they're not, they're not quite sure if he means it as an insult right away. But then it's like, uh, as soon as they find out and that shit breaks out and the, the cops, you know – show up and he they find that what they consider a small knife on on charlie or is it i don't remember if they find it on charlie or i think it is charlie not yeah, johnny's charlie and they're like it's is a swiss it... army knife yeah and he's trying to explain you know oh it's a toothpick it's this or that and the cops are basically <laughs> holding them up like blackmailing them like knowing that the owner of the pool hall is going to pretty much pay him off yeah everyone's getting the peace yeah and that's what i thought was interesting about this movie in general is that it shows the sort of mafia from a different perspective. Um, and Goodfellas, these guys are at the top of their game. They have nice cars, um, nice suits. It, it makes it look a lot cooler and more luxurious. Like they're living a high life. These guys are much small, like much smaller time criminals. Um, they're doing small time deals and they're getting into fist fights and, and pool halls and uh, they're getting down and dirty. It's not quite uh, the prestige as the later movies. It's almost like the characters like in, in Scorsese's films evolve over time with him. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely do. Um, especially uh, I want to say with Charlie, how like how much he does want to evolve too, in a way. Um, which I guess will lead us closer to the end and everything. Um, because yeah, all these different obstacles that he faces, one of them actually, we haven't really talked about her all that much is Teresa Mm -hmm. and how like that's Johnny boy's, uh, cousin and his mob boss doesn't want him to be with her. Only because she has seizures and she has neurological problems. Yeah, she's like epileptic. That that seems like a strange reason to not want him to date her. Like, I don't know, maybe it's it's of the time or of a culture yes. or something. But um... it is of the time because that uh, like mental health and and stuff like that. And that's not even really mental health, but um, things that you really couldn't explain all that well just yet were thought of as like evil, you know, in a way. Because uh, I'm. I'm sure seizures have been around for a very long time. And if I'm, I I don't know if this is true or not, I I think I've probably read it or heard it, but like if you had seizures back in the uh, 1700s, I think you were a witch or something, or you had a demon inside of you that needed to come out and you're possessed. So I I think that old school thinking, which is, uh, which does have meaning in this movie, because uh, like I said before, like everything is isn't progressing like it should in this small part of New York, Little Italy. Yeah, like I mean, our modern medicine and science has evolved over time, so we have to think about like back then it was less understood, even more so, you know, uh, especially considering compared to now. But it's like you know, it's just 
it's like it's it's just interesting to think about because it's like now that would never be a thing but it was like uh she was considered damaged because she had these seizures and and it does come into play later in the movie um but i felt like their story like like you said charlie keeps running into these sort of hurdles he has to keep jumping it's like he gets two steps ahead he has one step back and it feels like the entire movie uh he's Johnny Boy's sort of holding him back and he can't advance there. And then he's still trying to hold this relationship with Teresa as a secret. And she's sort of sick of that. She's, you know, (laughs) sick of being second place all the time and him constantly trying to hide it from everybody and um, sort of playing second fiddle to his, his job. And, you know, it's, it's that struggle that he has and, you know, he's always seems to be fighting with her too, and yeah. Well, she's also part of the problem. She, you, you, I think you're led to believe that she's his savior in some way, and she really isn't. She, she's holding him back because, um, when he's in the club and he he um, he actually talks to the black dancer, and he's like saying, "Hey, I'm opening up this restaurant. I would like you to come and be a hostess there." Um, you want to go get drinks or something. And then, uh, and that's just telling you, he doesn't really like her mm-hmm. because he really likes this one other girl, which he ends up standing up because he couldn't face the, his peers because she's black. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I thought my first two times around watching the movie, I was like, well, just go with her, just go with her. And now after seeing that she is more of a hazard, more of a problem to him, um, not because of her seizures, but her relationship with Johnny Boy. And um, there's a scene close, it's not right at the end, but um, when they're, her and Johnny Boy are in the car and they're driving away, and he starts speaking to himself in a way like he did in the beginning of the movie. Well, it's not him in the beginning, but it's, uh, well, the first part is um, the, uh, Martin Scorsese, then. Uh, Charlie says something in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Charlie starts speaking uh, out loud. And when he, uh, when he finishes, uh, they both look at him and start laughing at him. Like, like they have no respect for him and Mm -hmm. respect for what he's doing for both of them. So that, that's, that's what really tipped me off that everything, everything around him was bad for him. Not just uh, the Johnny boy and the gangsters, but, his love life also yeah he's not get, he's not getting the respect he's due because he's always putting his neck out for everyone else and not himself and it continues getting him deeper and deeper in the hole and there's a, and there's another part too where um it's another scene in the bar that's where the uh there's a coming home party for uh i want to say a, some uh a, someone from the military just got back from vietnam and they have a party in the bar for him and it's probably like two or three in the morning by then he gets wasted and he starts going after this girl and everyone from the bar like has to separate him because he's really going after this one girl for i don't know what reason um it doesn't really tell us but he starts ripping her clothes off so you guess you can go there um and then they they get separated charlie takes her into this room in the back Mm -hmm. and like all this hectic shit happened she's drunk everyone else out there is drunk and he asks her to dance and when um, they start dancing, she passes out, and he puts her to bed. So 
it kind of seems like even though he what he feels maybe like he's the hero of the situation yet he comes out somewhat empty-handed in the end yep i think that really kind of pushes him even farther in this movie yeah, it was interesting, like I said, listening to uh, his commentary on this after I, I watched the movie without commentary first and then went back, like I said, and listened today. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, listening to him talk about, like, how, why were the why the religion played into this movie. Like, um, when he was young, church was like a few, one of the few places Martin could get uh, sanctuary and peace in his childhood. Because, like, he said that he had asthma, so he wasn't quite like one of the runners like these guys. He was not someone who would fight. He would have to use his mind and wit um, rather than his physical prowess because, like you said, he's a small guy. And so he was sort of probably more in a way of like a, a Johnny Boy is a smartass, but he never really fought, he said. And so this movie is sort of his – like when he made his first two movies – they they didn't have he didn't have much to say with them and they were you know people had said you know why don't you make a film about your personal experience and so he sort of ingrained a lot of his uh like his background into this movie and it was interesting to hear all the stuff he had to say like uh the San Gerano uh Grano feast uh the festival they they shot during that and they had to pay to shoot during that and so he borrowed money from Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> and uh, paid him back when the movie, you know, was picked up uh, after playing several festivals. Um, like he said, this this film was sort of reflective of his first three years of attending NYU when he was um, making these films and learning about films. Uh, he was surrounded surrounded by these guys on the streets and um, sort of observed it and and decided to tell this story. Um, and he felt like. This was his first real feature. He felt like he jumped from shorts to making his first feature before he knew what he was doing. So, um, like, especially like Boxcar Bertha, like, he felt like um, he learned a lot on that because that was a Roger Corman film. Right. Yeah, uh, Corman right. hired him to make it, and he's like, that that is my you know that's the second feature. But he said that he learned the most on it because Corman. Um, is basically like a he's he's not an artistic director he's like here's your money let's get this done it's a business and he shot like he, he learned and taught uh martin scorsese like here's some discipline basically like here's what you, you need to get these shots done in this time he, he taught him how to basically like because before this it was like he would shoot whenever he had time and he had he had part helped edit like the woodstock documentary he had worked on a few other films and he had been fired from another one because he was like too relaxed about it and didn't have the organization and knowledge on how to do that so he felt like uh corman really helped him out like learning the the business side of it, like what you need to get done and how to make it, you know, the work side of it, like getting things actually made. So it was interesting hearing like him talk about the discipline of filmmaking, learning from Roger Corman and, and sort of what not to do. And this was like the first actual story he, he felt like he wanted to tell. So it, it's cool to hear um, that, you know, he wanted to tell a story in New York Um he talked about like going to LA and hating it there, and he did not want to go to LA. But they ended up shooting um, quite a bit of this movie. A lot of the interior shots were in LA, in in office buildings, and then they shot all the hallways and outside scenes in New York. 
Hmm. Oh, nice. Oh, that, you can't tell at all. I mean, it, it always seems like New York. Like, in each and every shot. So, yeah, they did a really good job with that. Yeah, and he said that he liked doing, like, the reason he did so many popular songs um, on the soundtrack was, like, he, he didn't quite understand how scores work. So he was like, this is the music that I would hear. Like, if you're in New York and people are driving around with their windows down or you go into a pool hall or you go into a bar, um, this is the music that I would hear and this is the music that I like. And I like using that music to influence someone's emotions. Like when you're watching a scene, it's not just the what you're seeing on the screen, but also what you're hearing and feeling. So it's like, it's it's almost like just background. It's it's a score itself. The songs that he chose. So yeah, there's like one song uh, with the biscuit song or whatever, where it's just a bunch of gibberish, and that uh, it's the scene where Harvey Keitel is getting wasted, mm-hmm. uh, and the camera is like connected to him, where it's just his face and uh, the background of wherever he's walking, and he's just taking shots, and people are fucking with him and everything until he just passes out after a while. Um, which is, yeah, that song is just a bunch of gibberish because I, I, I watched this movie with subtitles on and, uh, and when the song was happening, uh, the words were coming up for it, the lyrics. And I was like, OK, good. I can know what they're, they're saying now. And it's, it's a bunch of gibberish. <laughs> yeah, they said uh, to, to get inside Harvey Keitel's drunken scene, the camera was actually strapped to his chest while he swayed about and um, undercranked it to give it a woozy, drunken feel. Nice. (laughs) Which is really cool. Like, uh, seeing some of this innovation, you know, like, is there something about, like, a low budget film where they have to improvise and do what they can with what they have? And sometimes, like, those happy accidents come about. And, but that was clearly intentional. But it's like, I read that the the use of handheld cameras was basically because they didn't have uh, the budget to lay down track, a lot of tracks for their, uh, tracking shots so a lot of it was handheld which sort of made it more i think more like it made me more anxious it made me feel like um more real maybe yeah 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 this this movie is never really unbelievable at all and everything seems like it it could happen or, or presumably could happen so originally the film was called season of the witch but they changed it to mean streets um <clears throat> which Marty said was inspired by a quote from Raymond Chandler. Uh, the quote is, down these mean streets, a man must go. Um, film critic Jay Cox suggested the change to Martin Scorsese, who said, who thought it was pretentious at first, but eventually came to agree that it was effective. Hmm. And I think he said he was like shooting some of these scenes with the songs that ended up being in the movie in his, in his head. And he never really thought about like, in film school they didn't really talk about you have to get clearance and even back then i'm guessing it wasn't as expensive as it it is now because you know he shot this thing and then went to the studio when it got picked up after after playing some film festivals and he was like you know i want these these songs in there and they they had somebody um I think this is, is this Warner Brothers? I'm trying to remember who ended up. Yeah, I don't recall what it is. But um, the st- someone at the studio was like, okay, we'll get it done. And they got these songs. And it's like, that doesn't happen now, man. Like, oh, no. You no, couldn't, no. It, two Rolling Stone songs would, you know, wash away your budget right away now. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but uh, I guess that sort of brings us to like some of the later scenes. Um, there's a, a sort of 
not quite tragic. Luckily, it doesn't turn out to be tragic, but there's a scene where uh, Charlie is in a fight with Johnny Boy and um, there with Teresa, and she ends up having a seizure, and there's actually a cameo, I think, by isn't that <laughs> Mar- Martin Scorsese's mom is in that oh, scene. Yeah, I pointed that out. I was like, oh, there she is. <laughs> yeah, she, she's in, in, I think she's in, like, the very final scene of the movie, too, closing the window. But, um, yeah, that, that, at first I was like, oh shit, she's going to die. Like I thought, you know, right away she's going to die and he ends up calling her later. And, uh, which leads to the ending that we've sort of, um, talked about a little bit. Was there any other major scenes you want to talk about before we get into the ending? Um, well, just with that, that scene where she does have the seizure and, um, Charlie actually goes after Johnny boy cause he books and he just leaves her there. He doesn't even, like, try and help her at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the one other scene is, like, where you, you think maybe, maybe Johnny Boy is going to take this and go with it to where um, Harvey Keitel's got, like, 30 bucks, and he gives it to uh, Johnny Boy to pay Mike. And when he goes to just give uh, Mike the money, which is only 30 bucks, and he owed him three thousand or two thousand. He cut it down to two thousand. Yeah, it started at three thousand, and and uh, somehow uh, Charlie talked him down to yeah. And then, but so Johnny Boy gives him ten dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So> yeah. Thirty. Which is <laughs> like, oh man. Then that was it. You can see that Charlie wasn't gonna do, wasn't gonna stop him if something was gonna happen. Yeah, he, he like wads it up and throws it back in his face. He's like ten dollars. You, you, that's more of an insult than nothing. Yeah, yeah, and then um, that's yeah, and that kind of leads us to the to the last part of the movie. Yeah, the just so many of those scenes are like to me uh, very tense because it's like Johnny tries to talk his way out of these things, and it's like you. You fucking dumbass! Like, yeah, you just—he's always shooting himself in the foot, and then it always falls on Charlie's shoulders. But yeah. you know, he brings these two girls to the bar at one point. I'm jumping all over the place, but there's a point where he brings like two girls to the bar, and he's like, you know, Charlie's like, "Where you been, man? Like, you, you need to pay Tony." And he's like, "Oh, you know, it's it's all good. I paid him." He's like, "You, you sure you paid him? Because he was here earlier." He's like, "He's still here." He's like, "No, but you know, you paid him, right?" Well, eventually he gets that out of him. Well, I I guess no, that was two weeks ago. My bad. I do owe him. <laughs> and then Tony shows up and he's like, "You know, you owe me money." And and he's pretty forgiving too. Like yeah. throughout this movie, I'm like, man, if if somebody had tried to screw me over this many times, he's like, "You're buying drinks for these girls, but you can't get me my money." He's like, "Oh, I put it on the tab." And it's like, which tab, the big tab or the small tab? He's like, uh, put on the small tab to balance out the two tabs. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you notice in that in that scene where uh, where Charlie pulls De Niro to the side and, and they're talking, you get a little glimpse of future De Niro, where where they're talking and De Niro just goes, "Come on," like that. Yeah, yeah. You yeah that was like oh it's like oh that's gonna be classic de niro pretty soon yeah that's the the, pretty soon everybody's gonna be doing that as a impersonation of him (laughs) (laughs) Uh, another character i think we kind of skipped over a little bit was the david proval character and the scene where he has like the tiger cubs oh yeah holy shit which is kind of like another implication that these these guys just like haven't grown up at all Right. Like, what are you going to do with these things? And David Proval gets in there and starts petting, like, the tiger or whatever, lion or whatever it is, the lion cub. 
And yeah, it, it's just another one of those scenes. There's just so many of them that sprinkled throughout this movie that um, I needed quite a few viewings, it seems like, to, to pick them all up. Yeah, he takes them down in the basement and is like, you know, pulls the sheet back and they're all like, holy fuck. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> these big guys, you know, these tough guys and wise guys all flee out of the room and jump on some couches. Yeah, I would be there too. And, and he like crawls in. I was like, where are we going with this? There's no way that it's going to kill him. But, you know, uh, and th- there's a scene too where they're hanging out. And this is towards the end when uh, we actually get a we get cameos. Not at the time they weren't cameos; they're just small roles. But they went on to be famous later of uh, David and Robert Carradine, where yeah. uh, he follows him into the bar and shoots him while he's taking a piss in the urinal. Uh, he just kept going. Yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> it, there's just like moments like that where it's like. Oh, this this is definitely a Martin Scorsese film. Like I did not recognize him at all. I did not realize who that was until I I started reading up on some of the trivia on IMDb. I'm like, oh, yeah? oh, oh, oh. shit. Yeah, because I, I wanted to make a kung fu joke about it when I was watching it, but I just couldn't come up with anything. <laughs> yeah, they're so young and they look, you know, they have the long like long hippie hair and uh, '70s hair. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, um, I guess that sort of leads us to the the big finale. Uh, you want to sort of talk about that? Tell us what happens. Yeah, well, um, so Johnny Boy is getting—I um, mean, I'm sorry—Charlie is getting Johnny Boy and his cousin slash girlfriend out of the city, so Michael doesn't kill him because Johnny Boy pulled a gun on Michael at the bar, and pretty much told Michael, like, you know how I borrow money from everyone and I, the only person I can borrow from is you because you're that gullible and stupid, you know? So Michael takes offense to that and uh, him and one of his boys, which is actually Martin Scorsese, um, follow um, Charlie and Johnny Boy and um, they end up shooting uh, Harvey Keitel in the hand. That one hand he kept talking about was hurt. Yeah. Or shadowing there. Um, Johnny Boy gets shot in the neck. And presumably he probably dies. I mean, you're not coming back from those usually. And um, they crash the car. And Teresa ends up going through the windshield, which I think is pretty much... She already had neurological problems as it is. And then I think this is just another tell here that her head went through the windshield. And then that's when um, Charlie exits the car and... Um, he's on his knees, kind of just low, like, what the hell, you know, and then that's uh, when the ambulances and everything comes, and that's that's kind of the end of the movie. There's, that's it. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a sad ending. I mean, as much as Johnny Boy deserved it after all, not only all the stuff that led up to it, but also finally, like you said, when he waved the gun in his face and basically gave him, like, the biggest fuck you and antagonized him, but it's just disappointing that you know Charlie gets stuck in the middle again, and he's the one, he gets shot, and you know he's his life's over now. Like, you know, I mean, he just gets shot in the hand, but it's like we see Johnny Boy sort of crawl down the alley, but like you said, he gets shot in the neck, so he's probably just gonna make it halfway down the alley before he bleeds out. Um, we assume that Charlie and Teresa both live because they were in the car too, and uh, they get picked up in the ambulance. Um, but I mean, that's not necessarily what this movie's about. Is like, does who lives and who dies? It's like just sort of another 
lesson of like you know John, in the end uh charlie charlie loses because once again he's trying to do the right thing and he's always constantly struggling with that mm-hmm. and uh in the end ends up coming back to completely bite him in the ass yeah yeah it's unfortunate because charlie's a, a pretty decent character I mean, he's not flawless at all i mean he, he does have flaws but just his surroundings were, were constantly bringing him down even some of the light that he had in his life was still bringing him down too uh, I, I think what he really needed was actually to escape just not with them and right yeah he with, needed a way out to just completely separate himself from from both of them and uh he just it's like he could not it's almost like that was in his mind like his identity like he just could not help himself and he felt like he had to help he had to help johnny boy he had to always bail him out and i've said a million times this episode but it's just like so frustrating to watch because i i I didn't know what was how the ending was going to go but i knew it wasn't going to be a happy ending for johnny boy because he's constantly uh fucking up and you know there's even points where it's like meet us here you know at this time and then he shows up an hour and a half late and he's like oh you know who are you my mom or something it's just like dude (laughs) he plays it off in in like it's nothing and it's it's constantly just so irritating yeah this is a tough movie man (laughs) yeah it's not one that i'll if i you know it's not quite goodfellas where like anytime i see it on ifc or or something i stop and and watch it from that point on um not that mean streets is going to be on basic cable anytime soon but it's not one i'm gonna throw in um from time to time like i would some of his other movies it's not a uh it doesn't have a whole lot of humor in it like some of his other ones um it's it's Except for the, the the bar scene. That's that's about it for the most part. Uh, yeah, it. I mean, it, go see the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great movie. It's just not. Um, and if I was in a certain mood for it, and it would be fun to. Uh, now it's one that I enjoy that I can show to other people if they uh, haven't seen it. But I feel like I'm the last person on earth who hasn't seen it. So. Oh, you know what? It's it, it's fine. I, I actually, you know what? I have a, a small confession to make. I have never seen Escape from New York. Okay, well, you know, that's what this shows. I celebrate this. Like, I'm glad you're you're feeling, getting it off your shoulders, it's letting it be done. No one knows this. <laughs> I, I might have to edit it out later if you change your mind. Like, I don't want people no. knowing this. But No, I, I need it. I, I need it to get off my chest, finally. After all these years, I have not seen Escape from New York. I've seen Escape from L.A. I saw it in the theater. I've just never seen... Well, uh, shit, if you've seen Escape from L.A., no wonder you haven't seen Escape. You're probably like, oh, if it's as bad as this, I never want to see it. <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I, I've Actually, you know, it was my brother's favorite movie growing up, and I guess I just I just never watched it, man. And I still have it. One of these days, I'll do, I'll do it. And, but I'm, I'm happy to finally get it off my chest on your podcast uh so yeah there we go well definitely well i for sure have to have you back on on for that one but uh i'm gonna go through some of the trivia i've i found on imdb um as always i sort of tell people that this could be complete horseshit or could be true because i there's no real um you know fact checking on on imdb and i've found in other films i found some stuff that's completely not accurate but um 
I talked a little bit about this when raising money for the film. Martin Scorsese was offered a healthy sum by his mentor, Roger Corman, on the condition that he shot the movie with an all-black cast because black exploitation, black exploitation films, were big at the time. Uh, Scorsese had to turn Corman down. Corman said in an interview years later that the film was a great Italian film, but it would have been just as great as a black film. <laughs> hmm. I, I, you know what? I would actually like to see a remake of Mean Streets with a black cast. I think that'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, obviously he would have to change a lot of the writing because it's like, this is based on real life, you know, uh, mafia guys in new york like this group is you know people he's based on people he really saw like this stuff happened at that time in that place uh so it'd be interesting like you'd have to change what they're up to what you know maybe the time period i don't know but i found it you know once again corman being the businessman he is he's like well right now black exploitation's hot so let's make it a black <laughs> cast and i'll pay for it i'm wondering who would play tootie yeah, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Uh, if, if you're listening and you have some ideas, leave it in the comments. I'd like to see some fun uh, feedback on who you think would play Tootie. That would be fun. <laughs> or Mushy. That was the other guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who's the Black De Niro in that? I don't know. Oh, oh that'd be a good one. Hmm. Uh, of course, this marks the first collaboration of director Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. They would go on to make nine films together as of 2019. Uh, we have Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino, and The Irishman. So obviously went on and uh, worked together quite a bit and sort of became known for that. Um, I, I, I believe you see David Provol in a few of his movies also. Um, I don't know how many, but he's always David Proval was always kind of like the the third or fourth in command character in the mafia movies mm -hmm. until he got to like the Sopranos and, and I believe one of the seasons he was like one of the main characters before uh, I believe like Tony's sister blew his face off or something like that or shot him in the chest. Yeah. Well, I think about like this movie and. It's like crazy to see it because you think about without this, there's no Goodfellas. Without Goodfellas, there's no Sopranos. Like it's just you know, it's like a domino effect. If this movie hadn't happened, who knows what we would and wouldn't have. But uh, you know, I, th I think this is responsible for a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and especially a lot of people talk about um, De Niro in this movie, and he does a great job. But I think Harvey Keitel was i think his his role is a bit more memorable to me at least oh absolutely me too i mean i think the reason that people talk about de niro is just because of what he came to be with martin but um in this movie Kaitel is is the lead and he's you know the strong lead and to me yeah the best character i wonder what the scene was like between Kaitel and de niro when they they had to sleep in the same bed together yeah that was that was kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> What's he say? Something like "Good morning, sweetheart" or something. He's like giving him shit. Yeah, and and you know, there's one more scene actually I forgot about uh, about like how these guys just never grow up. Like uh, Charlie's like 27, yet his mother is putting his clothes out for him still. Yep. Yeah. And she even leaves him a note like, "Oh, this looks little look nice on you" or something like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a little scene that you don't think much of at the time, but then, you know, it reflects on that character later down when you think about it. Right, and you never see his mother either. You just, no. just you never get to really see any of his family other than his uncle. Yeah. So uh, Robert De Niro was offered any of the four parts in the film. Once Harvey Keitel came on board, he convinced De Niro to take on the role of Johnny Boy. Uh, clearing the songs for use in this film ended up being approximately half of its budget. So not surprising. Yeah. Um, in the scene where Harvey Keitel's character is riding in the back of a taxi, the taxi is being driven by Robert De Niro. <laughs> Uh, and you mentioned this one a little bit earlier. Uh, the voiceover narration in the opening of the movie is actually not said by Harvey Keitel, um, even though the character we are intended to believe is is thinking the thoughts uh, in his head. But uh, it's actually Martin Scorsese himself. He said that he felt like using a separate voice to make the distinction between Keitel's thoughts and actions was necessary. Uh, he borrowed this technique from Federico Fellini, who used it in Velatoni. Hmm. Uh, filming took 27 days, six in New York City, and the rest in Los Angeles. So only six days in New York. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, as they couldn't afford to do the fall shoot in New York City. Um, a, a very young Robert Carradine plays an assassin who shoots a man to death in a bar. The victim was played by David Carradine, who we know, yeah. you know, they go on to be uh, very famous themselves in different respects. I remember finding out that putting two and two together that they're brothers because i'm like man what different careers they've had you know yeah. one's yeah. one's kung fu and one's revenge of the nerds it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it couldn't couldn't be on two opposite ends but both very famous and recognizable uh, martin scorsese says that he ple he was pleased when warner brothers bought and distributed this movie because they had the best gangster pictures it's like that's very cute he was like a little marty who hadn't gotten big yet was like oh warner brothers wants me they have the best gangster pictures and then, and then he creates like the best gangster picture of all time so yeah <laughs> uh brian de palma helped martin scorsese edit some scenes in this movie which is really cool yeah oh i love De palma yeah me too i need to see more of his stuff too it's on my list um i just recently within during quarantine at some point i watched blowout for the first time and that blew me away no pun intended but that was awesome <laughs> Uh, you, you've seen Scarface, right? Oh, yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I have seen that one. About Scarface. Yeah. Like, some people think that movie is, like, the like the silliest, stupidest movie ever. And I think it's brilliant, like, how it's portrayed. And I think a lot of people just don't kind of get it. But uh, I talk about it all the time on my podcast. <laughs> so well, if you ever want to do Scarface, I can go tell you about... Um, our De Palma and Pacino's height or whatever. I think it's the reputation that movie has. Like people go into it with a pre preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be. I mean, the merchandising alone has really put a, a damper on it for me. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's a great film, but it's like, it's sort of like, and this is a weird off tangent thing, but it's like, I'm almost embarrassed to tell people I'm really into like MMA and watch UFC because the culture is really cringy. Yeah, and, I agree, man. And, and I, I like MMA too, but yeah, I agree. And it's like with Scarface, it's like you see the really bad like t-shirts with, you know, badly Photoshop stuff or like, I think of the culture behind it is so bad. It's like, it's a great movie. It deserves so much better than what it gets. I agree. I, I totally agree with that. And it's, 
you got to remember this uh, Scarface is a, a semi remake. Yeah. From uh, from way back when people spoke differently, you know, and and gangsters were portrayed in a certain way, and then Scarface they do Scarface again, and it's portrayed kind of the same way as the original is with these these characters are that are just over the top, and people always talk about how stupid. Pacino's accent is in that movie, and they're like, "Oh, he doesn't sound like Cuban. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to sound like, like how how you would in the '30s. Like, uh, no one spoke like, yeah, I'll get you, Dirty Rat. Or like, no one spoke like that normally. Right. But the characters portrayed in movies did. Yeah. And so yeah, you got to kind of think of it like that if you really want to enjoy it to the fullest. <laughs> yeah. So um, if someone hasn't seen Scarface. Uh... Let us know. We'll have you on the show, and I'll bring Larry back uh, to school you on it. Yeah, I'll tell you something <laughs> about Scarface. Yeah. We'll bring it back. You know, I'm taking it back. Damn it, it's coming. I think that that whole thing has the merchandising stuff has slowed down in the last maybe five or so years. Luckily, so um, you know it can be cool again. Like let it, you know, let it die let, down. Let it die down. Sell out all those posters you have of Scarface, Tony Soprano, and all those other gangster. You know, do you, you ever see those like posters they had where they around a dinner table they'd have Scarface, they'd have um, Tony Soprano. Um, uh, De Niro from Goodfellas. Probably they, Joe Pesci somewhere. Yeah, somewhere around the table. And there's all these gangsters behind them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I saw it on the wall of many um, frat houses when I was in college. Or like a, a what is that, Spencer or some shit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like tons of those at Spencer's next to the, <laughs> the like, the uh, Playboy, you know, posters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Scorsese's inspiration for Johnny Boy came from his paternal uncle, Joe Scorsese, who was often in trouble with the law himself. Hmm. Uh, Martin Scorsese sourced much of his own personal record collection for the score, which I mentioned earlier. I thought was interesting that they actually physically use his um, copies. Um, says director cameo martin scorsese appears a further two times in addition to his credited appearance as jimmy shorts first he is visible in a portrait with harvey keitel for one frame in the opening home movies and <laughs> uh main title sequence second his voice appears which we talked about a little bit ago when he says father i'm not worthy of your flesh mm. so i don't know if you consider that really a cameo like a voice but i uh. guess so uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's other cameos people have done for movies they weren't really in uh, small little snippets. Uh, I can't really think of any, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. Uh, the production was pretty much made on the run from the Teamsters, as it would have been financially impossible to make the film had it been a union shoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, according to Catherine Scorsese, the scene in which Amy Robinson is having an epileptic seizure took 22 takes to film. Oh, man. Isn't that just fucking <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine that was fun. Um, Scorsese stated in a foreword of, to the film during TCM's broadcast on September 17th, 2018, that the story setting was approximately 1963. Hmm, all right. So that's interesting just because the music is like, you know, pretty like when I think the Ronettes like that was right about that time. Maybe a little that was a little bit earlier. I think that might have been like 50s. Yeah. yeah so about 10 years before this, probably. Um, 
Martin Scorsese edited the film himself, but consulted Sidney Levin for advice. Uh, since Scorsese wasn't a member of the editor's union, Levin accepted receiving editing credit for the movie. Hmm. Originally, the financial backers wanted John Voight to play Charlie, but he turned them down. Yeah, good. Yeah, that not so good would have been i don't know i mean i would i would like to see like that eric stoltz back to the future thing i'd like to see a scene yeah, just to cool. see it um robert de niro originally wanted to play charlie after harvey Keitel was cast as charlie and robert de niro was cast as johnny boy they wanted to swap roles but martin scorsese put his foot down and said no yeah that kind of retcons what you said in like the beginning of the, yeah of the, the trivia there yeah, that's it's interesting. You know, like I've said, that's the last thing I had, and at the very first, it's like it contradicts itself. But um, yeah. <laughs> who knows what's true and what's not? But uh, yeah, that's Mean Streets. Um, did you have any sort of final thoughts on this one? Uh, other than if you're a fan of Scorsese, don't necessarily expect the the high quality that he's had since like Taxi Driver on up. And this movie's a bit more raw, but still very enjoyable, but not something that you're going to watch all the time. I think I probably watch this movie every 12 years. So it's not one that you can just see on TV and be like, oh, I'm going to finish this one up. It's yeah. One of like, uh, if we're going to talk about it on a podcast, I'll watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has, like I said, it has some, it's great storytelling. And it's if nothing else, if you're a if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of films. If you've made it, you know, the hour into this already. Uh, And if you somehow like me have not seen this, uh, just watch it for like seeing. It's just really cool time capsule. It's like seeing a young uh, De Niro, young Keitel sort of. Um, becoming who who we know them as and Scorsese. It's like, it's like watching all of them um, blossom right on screen. It's like a practice run at what we see later for everybody. And it's just really cool. It's like uh, a big part of history. To me, it's like, you know, it's, it's not even necessarily that um, it's a, a, like you said, it's not necessarily a rewatchable movie that something you throw on all the time, but just watch it once uh, just to sort of see it. It's really just sort of cool to be like, Oh, okay, cool. Like now, I sort of understand some of the, some of the stuff that um, Scorsese does later in his career, like where he sort of broke his teeth. You know, yeah, you get to see all this up and coming talent and, and to just blossom. Right? Yeah, it's it's great just watching these guys on screen, and especially De Niro too, because he is the character uh, is is a sleazeball, and he doesn't really play that character very often since then. He's always has he's very tough and a tough character and commands the screen and yeah and you never really see that again not not that anything i can think of yeah i mean there's nobody we see so many dudes dress up as uh travis bickle but we're not going to be seeing in anybody dress up as johnny boy for halloween yeah Uh, no (laughs) because nobody wants to be him he's sort of the character you hate in this movie so like you said, he's usually after this, he doesn't really get to play that role. He's sort of and, and that's sort of a whole different conversation. But it's it's always been argued like white guys who um, look up to like Scarface or Travis Bickle as these uh, characters that they idolize. It's like uh, probably shouldn't do that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah not, not those characters, not those <laughs> characters. There's other ones you can look up to. Right. Uh, I think even Max Katie is better than those. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 
uh yeah mean streets man thanks so much for getting me to watch this one finally and get it off the list uh i I subscribe to you too on letterboxd uh so i get to see all the stuff and if you want you can check out all the stuff that i've like rated uh i haven't really written any reviews but i've rated probably like two thousand three thousand movies i want to say oh wow but yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, this is a great time, and I, I like I like listening to your show anyway. So it's great to get to finally be on it. Well, let people know where they can find your podcast, um, where you're at out there. Like, let them know where they can find your letterbox. Anything you want to plug, uh, go right ahead. If people have made it this far, um, make sure yeah. they they know where they can find you. Yeah, the, um, my bleeding ears, my bleeding ears podcast on the PFPN. Uh, that's Prescribed Films Podcast Network. You can check me out there along with a bunch of other podcasts too. Um, uh, and um, Letterboxd, I believe my name is uh, Bonesaw6666 or 36 is, I'm not sure. I forgot which one it was. And you can just see all the movies that I watch and rated. And um, yeah, check, check it out. And you can probably might see some movies that you might want to see that I've rated or rated high. So yeah, um, yeah, that's it. Excellent. Um, like I said, I'm I love the show. Uh, I'm glad you know you're you've been going through. It's been something to get us all through this weird time in yeah, yeah. our lives. So it's like I've been absorbing so many podcasts, and uh, it's just cool to have our big podcast family. And and yeah, you know, all the shows on there are so much fun to listen to. But you've been one of the OGs. Like I don't even. I meant to ask you at the beginning of the show. How do you even? Uh, meet jason like how do you guys how did you get on the network in the first place uh i um jessalyn is friends with holly who was in uh it's her friend who lives in iowa who was friends with jason so that was like the connection and i guess like word got out um well jessalyn actually talks about the podcast a lot more to, to to people and, and her family listens to it a lot more than my family listens to so they talk about it a lot more and the word got out i guess and then um and holly knows jason and then uh jason invited me on and i was like oh hell yeah i would love to because i i was just throwing up my my stuff on soundcloud just you know just having having fun because i had recently left another podcast that was all about horror and i was like you know i i, I don't want to do this anymore i want to do all movies i just can't be in one genre i think there's just so much more to tell so i left that one and i was like i gotta i'm gonna do it myself i want to do it my own and uh, the first episode was just me and uh and it was demons was the first uh, uh episode and then jessalyn joined me after that and then everything just grew from there and bought a microphone the quality got better joined the pfpn met all you guys and now i'm, I'm heading down to iowa every year for halloween palooza and uh, have such a great time doing that and just selling all my old toys that i have and hanging out with you guys is, is a really good time yeah so how many episodes are you guys on because it feels like you've been doing my bleeding ears for quite a while now yeah it's up to 145 episodes that's awesome along with a couple other offshoots that I did. Uh, I did like a special My Bleeding Years episode for this other group of guys I know. They do like a, a Halloween horror thing, and then they did a, a space horror theme, and they gave me the movie Aliens. And, and if anyone knows me, Aliens is, to me, is the best movie ever made, ever. So I did a 
like an hour and a half podcast on that one and it wasn't numbered but it was like a special um and there's a few other podcasts too that i have on my channel too it's from my my friend and uh, tyrell who comes on the show every once in a while too he does a big box movie podcast uh it's like b movies like with clint howard in them you know and uh, him and his buddies talk about it so okay yeah those those movies that used to come in the big huge boxes yeah exactly that makes sense no, i just i just find it fascinating like you know i've met so many great people through podcasting and through this network and it's like jason and mike at the top somehow have put together this like crazy band of people who all have those the similar but such strange um tastes like i don't know man like i've met you guys at halloween palooza in person but i had been listening to your show and it's like not only do you guys have the same taste as me, but like you and your wife are like the nicest, most welcoming, friendly people. So, um, you know, it's just it's just nice. Like everybody I've met through this show has been awesome. So I'm, I'm waiting for the day when I have someone on and they suck. But um, <laughs> luckily, I've, I've had great luck with everybody. And, it, you know, everybody's been a great guest. And uh, I've met like I said, I've met a lot of great friends through this. And so I was so stoked that when you replied, you wanted to be on. I was like, oh, I, I told Jason like right away. I was like, you know, Jason. I look up to Jason. I always tell him, like, guess who I got? I guess who's coming on the show? He's like, I'm like, Larry. He's like, Larry's coming on the show. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I've know, been geeking uh, out about it. Yeah, you know, uh, like, after listening to you before I met you and everything, I, I was a little apprehensive. I was like, dude, this guy knows what the fuck he's talking about. I'm like, I don't want to seem like a moron when I talk to Ted, you know? And because I, um, because you and, and Brian were like the two guys. I was like, oh man, don't don't say something stupid in front of these guys. You know, <laughs> they know their shit, and it, and it's it's cool when you meet other people like that. Like you have that that same interest and that the same peace of mind about film, and it, it really brings you together. Especially in, like you said, in a time like this where we gotta be stuck inside. If we're gonna be stuck inside, hey, let's hang out as much as we can through uh, podcasts or uh, watching movies online, which I'm sorry, I, did, uh, I didn't catch Coherence yesterday, which I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, so. me too. No, it's all good. And I was I was just thinking, like, when you were describing your show and how you, you left another podcast because you wanted to talk um, of stuff that's not horror, I'm like, well, that's what I created. You know, that's why I have this show, because, like, I love do talking horror on AOTKP, but... Um, I love a lot of stuff outside of horror, so it's been um, really fun to sort of have this thing too. And and there's nothing better than either showing somebody a film for the first time or experiencing one for the first time. So uh, it's exciting every episode to hear either you know to express what I felt or hear what they think. And uh, this was a good one. I'm so stoked. And and now I'm gonna have to get uh, you back for Escape from New York. Oh, dude, I would love to do that. Uh, any movie. You know, I could talk about any movie for, for hours and hours and hours. Um, Aliens is one of them. I could just, I, I could have done a, like an eight hour podcast on that one, but I had to cut it down to like an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah movie, hell yeah. I would love to be on again. Of course. All right. Well, thanks so much for, for again, for coming on. And uh, like I said, we'll have you back on. And thanks Sweet. for uh, listening and thanks for supporting. And we'll see you next time on First Time Podcasts. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.